0: Welcome, thanks for tuning in today. So glad you have found us. If this is your first time, we certainly hope it's not your last time and would invite you to click on the digital connection card up here or leave a comment in the the chat window just about who you are and how we could pray for you. And if there's any questions you might have that we could answer. And if this is your spiritual home, we say welcome to you and are grateful too that you've tuned in to be part of our weekend experience here online. It was a beautiful Sunday last week as we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus. All sorts of great things happened in the space here. And I hope your day was encouraging. Wanted to share one fun picture. One of the families got all the men uh, matching shirts, almost. And it was kind of fun as they all walked in the building from different places in the community to see that, oh, I'm wearing somebody else's shirt. And it was kind of fun for them to do a group photo. That's the Walter family. So cool that they uh, surprised the men that way. And then I also want to share that last week, We uh, participated in a prison fellowship event here at uh, Mansfield Correctional Institute.
1: So we just finished up. Four hours inside, solid, with the men. Right, and just an amazing, uh, I don't know how to put words to it. You know, you can only gauge it when you're in an event where God's moving and the Holy Spirit's moving, and he was moving in there today. We had a fantastic event, we had the Poland Band, uh, fantastic praise and worship music and then we had Johnny Irish in there who was incarcerated for 32 years that's crazy Been out for five right solid Christian brother that just gave a outstanding testimony inspiring the men and then what we had pastor Lintrell Lintrell who was incarcerated here at Mansfield camp right that's just amazing too. the story
0: of how God used his story yeah you know, and even even Johnny's story to come back and the encouragement i think that offered the guys and for me it was amazing just to watch the men i mean i'm humbled by the fact that i've only i think i had eight hours inside and yet the men that i've gotten to know through the academy it was like i was you know they've missed me and it's yeah. like really yeah and it just shows you how much presence so i'm just really grateful lucian for your leadership and for what we just experienced and i think it's actually just another thing we've built on an ebenezer we see how god showed up but then you know what the future might hold so yeah thank you
1: hey you know glory to god uh thank prison fellowship and our faithful volunteers for allowing us to come in and do this all the volunteers here in local mansfield that uh came out today and uh you know you know what makes it all worth it tom is the 24 or 25 men today that made legitimate professions of faith and gave their life to christ for the first time yes is is what makes it I all had wonderful. a
0: conversation this evening with a gentleman who he said, Can you pray for me? And I said, Yeah, tell me your name He gave me his name and immediately there were tears running down and I just I was so just like, Okay, what do I pray for? But it's the good thing is God knew. And so I just prayed for his heart and his head and he had gotten a bible and so it's shared with him. But he, he was grateful and I think represents like so many of the other men. So, thanks for the privilege and the opportunity.
1: Hey, I thank all all the people that have been praying for this today for praying for the hearts of the men on the inside. Be grateful for you, brother, and your team that you brought. And
0: glory to God. Amen. To Him be the glory. We had 27 men who made first-time professions of faith in Jesus, and that was amazing. And then we gave away 48 copies of the Bible to those that desired them. And then after our time of worship with the Jeff Pollen band, we. Uh, spend some time just in ministry, praying for the men and just talking with them to encourage them. Very humbling to stand alongside those that are incarcerated and offer encouragement. Here's a conversation I had with one of our volunteers, Carolyn, who helped us serve.
2: Well, I can't say it was what I expected because I didn't really expect anything because I had no idea. was right. a little nervous going in, right. but it was, you can tell by all the bars we walked through, and all the locked doors we walked through. Right. That it was very secure. But um, I was surprised there was as many guides there. You know, they're not gonna wanna come listen to us or you know. Right. So there was a lot of people there and it was they were like really into it. The singing, the band was really good. Talking to the guys afterwards, well I only talked to one guide he liked to talk. Okay. So. <laughs>
0: and what did he talk to you about?
2: He talked to me about naming his first child, his name Michael, and then if he found it in the Bible. I think he just wanted somebody to talk to that he hadn't talked to before. Right. That didn't know his story. Or, right. you know. Yeah, they were all very polite when they came in. They shook our hands, told us, hi, how are you? You know, and we said we're glad that they were there. And and they all, like, nobody walked past me without shaking my hand. Right. You know, so they were all very polite.
0: So, let's think about this for a moment. How did you see God show up?
2: I think just in the men's response.
0: Which was?
2: Which was very favorable. They were, like, into the music, you know, and listening to the speakers you know you can tell that you could tell the ones that were paying attention and the ones that were just there cuz they didn't want to be somewhere else right you know which i didn't see a whole lot of that you know so it was good very good thank you so
0: i hope that encourages you just the idea of what it means to be aware of those that are in a situation in life that can be very difficult the beauty of when we risk to be present with those inside the facility it can be scary and intimidating, but as you heard Carolyn say, it's an amazing time to be blessed and to know of just the desire they have to go deeper in their faith. And so this morning as we come to worship, we come as people of the resurrection with the hope that comes in knowing who Jesus is. We're beginning the second week in a series of what I'm calling, Got Doubt? question mark because I know last week when we just think about all the beautiful things that took place, the amazing decisions that I heard from many of my pastor friends as people came to church, people who were encouraged about their faith journey, many people who were making professions of faith even like our friends at the Mansfield Correctional. So I'm grateful for what God has done in this season, even now, 2,000 years later, to bring the hope of the gospel to bear as we share the hope that Jesus gives us in the promise of the resurrection. I do want to say, though, that I think, and part of the reason I want to do this series is just in the things that I'm seeing out there, in the conversations I've had with other pastors, the conversations I've had with the men in prison uh, or the men that I see in jail, or even some of the families I work with who are not in the church, that there is this season that we find Right now, where it seems as though Christians are deciding not to be Christians, people who have been raised in the church are finding that the church somehow has disappointed them, that people are walking away from these elements of faith, who God is, who Jesus is, how the Holy Spirit works in our life. And in my season of having been a youth pastor, I, I saw it there too. have seen it in a number of ways, as recently even some young men that I worked with who grew up in the church have now found themselves in difficulties where they've gotten involved with the court system and are serving time in county or serving time in places like Mansi and Ricky here in our community. Just wondering what's going on. I think part of what's happened is that there is just a disconnect between who we are as Christ followers and how we live our life in our communities. There are many people, I think, who have been hurt, particularly by the church. I think this season we find ourselves in that there is a much different understanding of what church is and can be in our culture. And I think it creates spiritual doubts with people uh, and, and also creates a sense of hurt, of disconnect. And so what ends up happening is People are not pursuing a growing relationship with Jesus. They're, they're actually walking away from the faith, and they're doubting who God is. What I would like to do today is to ask you to be open-minded with me, and I want us to consider how we as followers of Jesus, how we might be getting some of the things wrong in terms of how we think our faith is supposed to be practiced, and that maybe we could do better with that. One of the stories we know well from scripture, you've heard it before, is the story out of Matthew 14. It's a crazy night, the disciples are in a boat on the lake, and and it's when Jesus walks on water. You know what, the disciples are freaked out at least, if not best, and and there's some craziness going on as they see it, and then what does Jesus say to them? He says, don't be afraid, it is me. And then out of that story, we, we see our friend Peter, here in verse 28, it begins, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said, and then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? That's uh, 28 through 31 of chapter 14. How about you? Have you had spiritual doubts? I think for many of us, we all have, given the season of life that we've had to push through in many different ways. Uh, Each season brings its opportunity for us to wrestle through, God, are you going to show up? Or God, how do we find you in the midst of this messiness? Uh, So I want to talk to two different kinds of people today. One, those that are doubting, that are actually struggling with trying to understand where their faith is and what's going on. And then I want to say to those is that your doubts don't disqualify your faith. As we looked last week at Thomas, that I really think Thomas was asking just the hard questions and how beautiful it was that Jesus met him in that moment, in that resurrection moment where he allowed him to touch the nail scars and to touch the hole in his side. And, and then Thomas confirmed in his own mind his faith. And then I also want to talk to those of us that are trying to help people who find themselves in a season of doubt. So one of the big ideas, if you will, as we think through this together today, is that doubt is not the enemy of our faith. Rather, that doubt is often an invitation to a deeper faith. In fact, it's interesting, this question that Jesus asks of Peter, why did you doubt? Now, I, I'm going to guess if we would go back through our life story, uh, your story or mine, I can point out many times where I wrestled with what is God doing? And do I really believe that He's going to show up uh, in different sorts of ways, in different sorts of experiences? And, and yet, I think as I've talked to dozens of people and have asked them the question, why do they doubt? For many of them, it's because they have questions, deep questions about life that they just can't answer. They can't get their mind around it. For some, it may be an apparent contradiction that appears because of maybe reading an article or maybe it's because of their studies in college where. Something of science supposedly disproves what what we find in the Bible. Or I can remember when I was in college, I had a professor in my freshman English class who was an atheist, and how I tried my best as we talked about words and talked about culture as I was writing my papers of trying to give a testimony, and he wasn't very kind. My writing skills might have not been all that great, but he was not very kind in terms of how the things I was trying to communicate And what I learned later, many years later, it had to do more about his life story and the things he experienced changed the way he saw the world. Or I've had conversations with others who just can't believe that I would think that Jesus is the only way because there are those people who are sincere in their beliefs. Why is it the following Buddha or being a Hindu or any other uh, religion outside of Christianity that isn't it being very narrow to think that Jesus is just the only way? And then, as as I've said, the idea of pain and suffering, that there is many who can't reconcile in their mind how a loving God would allow uh, this to exist. And when you think about just the world news today, the terrible things that have taken place in Ukraine, or you think about the terrible shootings that took place in Nashville just last week, or you think about the kids who are in third-world countries that are starving because of poverty, There's all these things that can really cause deep questions about where is God in the midst of that and really doubt uh, what good God can be. And yet, I think, too, on a personal level, if we lean into it, there's probably been times where you've experienced uh, someone, a loved one who is uh, facing cancer and they died. Or, Or maybe as a child, as you were growing up, your parents got divorced and just wondering where is God in the midst of that. Or maybe it's because you've got a hurt you can't resolve because there may have been somebody at your church growing up who failed, and somebody that you loved and respected and, and who let you down. I can remember when I came to faith in high school, there were a couple of my brothers in the faith who I really struggled with some things in terms of their behavior, uh, partly because I was new to the faith and both of these individuals had issues with uh, drug addiction at that time. And I didn't know what to do with that. They would show up at Bible study on Thursday and then would get high on the weekend. And I just had a hard time wrestling with that and that caused doubt for me. And then there's also those that come around us where we've seen families that have been active in our churches and then somehow life goes south and a divorce ends up happening and it just doesn't make any sense. And so as we wrestle through those things, It may be because when we look in scripture, we see this model of Acts chapter 2 about how life is supposed to be in the church, and yet we don't see that. We don't see that in our faith communities. In fact, we see the exact opposite. We see judgment and narrow-mindedness, if you will. We go back to this question that Jesus says to Peter, why do you doubt? And I think for many of us, when we see that, it sounds like it's a, a statement of accusation. Why do you doubt? You know, almost a negative kind of perspective. But what, what really happens here, and we read this story, uh, because what we know happens isn't what could have happened. Jesus could have said, Peter, why are you being such a knucklehead? And if you would just believe me, yeah. and Jesus sort of frowns on him. But that's not what happens here. In fact, what is Jesus's nature? Uh, his nature of kindness and love, because he, we know he loved Peter. And so what does he do? He literally reaches out his hand to rescue him. And so, What we might want to look at here is this idea, this accusation, if you will, is really an invitation for us to look at life in a new way and maybe to say it this way, Peter, why do you doubt? Um, I'm here for you, right? I mean, all the things that Peter had just experienced in the weeks before this and the months before this as they did ministry with Jesus, the healings that he saw, the, the restorations and the recovery, the raising of the dead, all these various things, and yet, The problem is there are moments in our faith journey where we begin to doubt, but we shouldn't panic in those moments. But really, maybe what this is about is allowing us a time to process. What is God doing here, and what can I learn in this moment? So let's sort of unpack this together here today, because I think many of us, when we think about the accusation, why do you doubt, right, that we say these things, and sometimes I think as we experience our faith journey in community, we end up pushing people away. And it may not be what we intentionally do, but even I can remember here in this space, uh, remember early on as I, I was only here, I think, a couple of weeks, and there was a moment where we used to have people register in a guest book that was outside the sanctuary here. And then what would happen in the midst of the service is someone would uh, then at some point say, hey, we've got some people visiting with us today, and we'd like to welcome so-and-so. And Would so-and-so like to share their story? And and then we poke a microphone in front of them. Well, that just doesn't work. Uh, That may have worked in a day, but most people, especially if they're new coming to a church, are coming looking for a sense of anonymity, if you will, and just trying to check things out. And when I realized what was going on, we had a conversation then with the deacons a couple days later and asked, why do we do it that way? Why is it, you know, what are you trying to accomplish And not being judgmental, but just really asking the question. Well, they thought that that was the best way to welcome the guest. And so we talked through. And so we don't do that anymore at all because we want people to feel safe when they come here. We want people to feel as though this is a welcoming space and let them decide how they want to be connected and how they want to engage. And I think it's in those moments we have good intentions. It's just what ends up happening is we end up pushing people away. Now, one of the things that's happening too is there is uh, some things taking place, I think, in the church where, and it's a term called uh, deconstruction. It's a big word. It's a confusing word. Uh, It's actually, maybe in a larger context, it's the word spiritual deconstruction. And what's happening is for some people, uh, and and it's all over the map, and so I'm not able to give you a real solid definition, although controversial and that it's creating some real uh, charged conversations emotionally in, our, in the faith communities. And I want to also suggest that when we do deconstruction poorly and how we resolve it, that it can be complicated. There's a good way of talking about deconstruction, but there's also a bad way. The, the, I want to say, too, when we deconstruct, it, it can hurt people, especially the one who is trying to process through. And I know, too, especially in this season, that there's many who have been hurt by Christians. And that when you get hurt by one Christian, we may tend to get bitter at all Christians or the idea of what happens in our relationship with, with the churches. And so we just tend to throw everything in one group, not realizing that not everyone thinks that way. And there's some pastors I know who are very narrow right now who are preaching against the idea that you really can't question your faith that if you're doing that, it's because you you lack understanding. Well, I, I think there is an example here from Scripture we can look at that maybe can help us better understand how to ask the right kinds of questions, because when it's done well, it can actually be a form of discipleship building. Now, it's interesting, a definition we could offer here is that deconstruction, it's a sincere examination of your beliefs, seeking to let go of what is untrue, so you can hold on to what is true. And so I want to suggest as strongly as I can that deconstruction, when it's done well, can be a form of us becoming better disciples, a form of discipleship. In fact, it's interesting, Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 says, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Well, what's interesting here, not only in these verses, but also five times Jesus says, you have heard it said, but, and then he goes on to unpack it. So the point here is there are things that we thought were were true, and they aren't. And so we need to take it apart, pull it back to what it was that God wanted us to best understand, to take what was not true and to build on what is true. That's where our faith should find its firm foundation. And we see it over and over again in Jesus' relationship, particularly with Peter, because I, I love Peter because I think he's a lot more like me in terms of how he saw the world, always asking questions, right, hard questions. In fact, Jesus says to Peter, what, I, I, he's got to go to Jerusalem. And part of his going to Jerusalem is he's got to go there to suffer and to eventually be killed and that he will be raised up on the third day. And what is Peter's response? He says, no way, that cannot happen. He says, you're the conquering king, not a dying Messiah. Well, but what does Jesus say to Peter? You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. That's Matthew chapter 16, verse 23. So what was Jesus doing there? Well, he was taking apart Peter's beliefs and his wrong beliefs, and he was helping them to see what the Messiah was all about. In fact, for Peter, Jesus says, you thought I was the conquering king, but that's not who I am. I'm here to be the suffering servant, to set the captives free. That Peter thought that he was there to achieve victory through conquest, that he is the coming king. And it's like, no, that's not it at all. It's all about his, his life being offered up as a sacrifice for many, right? And so part of what we have to do is let go of what isn't true, and we need to hold on to what is true. Now here's where it gets complicated, I think. I mean, when I ask the question, you know, how do you build your belief system? Well, we all wanna answer the Bible, right? Well, that's sort of true, but really what's more fundamentally true, the fact is our, our belief system is based upon how our tribe, how our flavor of, of church teaches about the Bible, or maybe how our family understands the Bible or our faith community, how we interpret the Bible. And really, what we have to admit, we bring to Scripture our own filters, our own perspective. Now, there's nothing wrong with that, but I think we have to see that sometimes how we see the Scriptures can color how we live out the Scriptures. It could be about how you were raised and the things that you valued. It could be the kind of church that you were raised in, or maybe no church. I know part of, I think, what we're struggling through in the traditional churches, like Presbyterian, and Methodist, and Episcopalian, and Lutheran, and others, is that this model of church that we've tried to implement over the last number of decades, that doesn't really fit into where our culture finds herself. Now, I'm not talking about abandoning the truth, but I do think that we end up picking up some beliefs about God that are true, and I also think there's many times we pick up beliefs about God that are not true. I mean, just think about the extremes that we know, those that are very, very narrowly focused, right? The, the idea of movies, you can't go to the movies, or you can't dance, or uh, those on the other side where you just got to name it and claim it, or being part of a church where you vote blue, or being part of a church where you, you vote red, uh, or even the idea that when you're a young person that you don't date, uh, or that you don't listen to secular music, or, or the kind of clothes that a person wears, right? Uh, or can be reminded too, even in this church's history, there was a point where as we began back a couple hundred years ago, we were a church that only practiced uh, psalmnity, which is basically singing a cappella psalms. And then as things went along, there was a moment where somebody decided to change the tune to which the psalms were sung, and that made some people upset. And then, heaven forbid, they actually brought in an organ Oh my goodness. Those kinds of things have created all sorts of disconnect. Or how we baptize. The idea of whether we immerse or sprinkle in the tension that creates there. Or how we practice the Lord's Supper. Do we do it every week? There are some churches that that's a very core part of who they are. Or how we pray. Making sure that we pray in Jesus' name and say amen. I'm not sure scripture is really clear about those kinds of things. So Here's what I want to say. It's another big idea is that everything that we believe about God may not be true. Maybe I can say it this way. When you discover parts of what you believe are not true, that doesn't mean you have to leave the faith. You just need to let go of what's not true and hold on to what is true. Now, these big words, whether it's deconstruct or reconstruct, or maybe a better way of saying it is just get out the bad and rebuild the good— so the idea, I think, is like when you renovate a house. In our home, we, after we bought it, it was a couple-century-old home almost. And in fact, the deed said old. There was a part of the house that we just needed to uh, remove because the termites had gotten into it. It wasn't insulated. It had old uh, kinds of wiring. It just wasn't safe. Now, we didn't tear down the whole house. We took down that part which needed to be rebuilt, and we reconstructed then that which was bad, Uh, It was something that was new. So we we took and rebuilt back something that was better than what we we tore down. And that's part of what this process is in our faith. So when you discover something you've believed isn't true, then what we need to do is unbelieve what isn't true and pursue what is true. Again, how do you interpret the Bible? Because sometimes we can get really confused quickly and it can cause some doubt. But we we go through it. You lean into it. And the good thing about Scripture as we study it is Scripture will interpret Scripture, that we can do it in particular ways by looking at what Jesus said about reading the Scriptures through his love, how he demonstrated it through his eyes, right? If we look at the Gospels in particular, how we see Jesus interact with people, how he loved those people, how he met people where they were, And when we read the scriptures through that lens, then it becomes a whole different perspective for us. So at the end of the day, our goal isn't to be right, our goal is to be loving. So just a couple takeaways here in a practical sort of way. Are you considering leaving your faith? Or maybe you're in a relationship with someone who is doubting right now, maybe they are thinking about it? It's interesting, our friend Peter in the Gospels here, Peter struggled with that too. In fact, we know he denied Jesus three times, right, on the way to the cross. Now, what's beautiful, one of the most beautiful pictures from Scripture, is this idea of restoration. But what I want us to see here comes to us out of John chapter 21, where Peter is asked by Jesus, do you love me? And he tells him three times. In fact, let's look at the Scripture here. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you, Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And then the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, Do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, Feed my sheep. Very truly I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, Follow me. Now, that's just an amazing story and it's so beautiful. And just like Peter had the three denials, Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? It's a restoration. And if you're Peter, you have to wonder what, what was taking place in that moment, even as it says that he was hurt. But do you know what happened just a few days later? Who who did God tap to preach at Pentecost? Well, it was Peter. And how many people were saved on that day? 3,000. Wow. And that's just a beautiful story. It was Peter who whose faith was built after having been in a season of doubt. So we want to say this again, this big idea, that doubt isn't the enemy of faith. That doubt is often an invitation to a growing faith. Now, what's interesting too, and I'm reminded of our time just recently in prison, Johnny Irish, as his name is, Johnny was actually incarcerated for 32 years. Johnny Irish was one of the men that went in with us to Mancy to share the gospel through prison fellowship this past week. And I was struck by how he shared that he actually was incarcerated for another 20 years after he came to faith in prison and how his coming to faith changed the nature of how he saw himself and even the ministry that he was able to uh, do with other men in the, those facilities. And it was clear watching his interaction with the men as, uh, he, after he shared in our time of prayer and our time of worship there was a real affinity there partly because of the shared pain if you will that these men are experiencing that they knew johnny too knew that pain and yet the hope that he gave by offering them the idea of restoration and the beauty of what happens when in the midst of our messiness in the midst of bad choices in the midst of doubting jesus shows up to the holy spirit and brings about uh, restoration what a beautiful thing and you know also it happens to peter about 30 years after he had been forgiven where he's near the end of his life, he writes here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 25, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. You see, that was Peter. He knew this understanding better than anybody. He was that sheep that had gone astray. But then he returned, and how God uses him in the season of ministry, of building the kingdom. You see, Peter knew firsthand the, the love of God, the grace of God, even the mercy of God, that as Jesus shared it with him there on the, that beach after confronting him in a, in a loving way with kindness. It was hard for Peter to hear those words. You know what? He, he understood in a whole new way this idea that Jesus was the good shepherd, that he wasn't the conquering king, but he was the suffering servant, the one who came to offer up his life to actually lay down his life so that Peter, and for you and I, that we could be restored. You see, that's the presence of knowing who God is. And so in this season of, of wrestling through what life looks like and maybe doubting our faith and doubting how God is gonna be present, we need to lean into those things and to take the joy that comes from knowing who Peter is and the encounter that Peter has with the risen Christ, even after having done the horrible things that he did of, of actually rejecting Christ, how Jesus lifted him up. And you know, that's what Jesus can do for you and for me. And so let's pray. Father, we're grateful for the healing work that you've done and continue to do in our world. Jesus, thank you for the power of the resurrection and the hope that it brings. Thank you for the good work you continue to do in our lives. And in those moments when we doubt, give us strength to believe, to believe in faith what you will continue to do in good things. And we just thank you for all this in your strong name. Amen.